With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 63rd episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also hope to provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help you improve information security and also to help you to better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, Podtoppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. I now have over 74,000 listeners in 63 countries, so thank you for listening. If you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please get in touch. And if you need help with information security or privacy, let me know that as well. And keep all your feedback and questions coming in. I welcome them all, and I do read them. I don't always have time to respond to them all, but hopefully those of you who have heard your questions on the air know I'm reading them, and I do appreciate them. A quick reminder, I'm giving a lunch keynote titled Prevent Nightmares in the Internet of Things at Secure World Expo in Kansas City. On May 8th, and I've been told that there is no cost to attend the keynote portion of that conference. So if you're in the area, please stop by and say hi. See more at secureworldexpo.com or send me a message, and I'll be happy to send you more information about that. Also, I want to provide another reminder about an active project that's lasting through the beginning of October of this year, 2019. I'm going to mention it uh, until, you know, that project is over because it's really an important effort. I'm part of the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, more commonly known as NIST team, and we're currently creating the NIST Privacy Framework, and we want to get as much feedback from as many industries and the general public and countries and perspectives as possible. Please go to nist.gov forward slash privacy hyphen framework to 
see more information about the project and also to provide feedback on the many different documents that we're putting there about the project. The next NIST Privacy Framework framework workshop is May 13 and 14 in Atlanta, Georgia at Georgia Tech. And you can sign up for the workshop. There's no cost to attend at the privacy-framework section of the NIST.gov site also. I just did a show answering listener questions a couple of weeks ago. And thank you uh, to the many comments and feedback I got about that. I'm glad to hear that um, so many of you appreciated those topics that I covered, or at least one of the topics during the, the course of that show. Well, today... My planned guest had to cancel just in the past hour, actually, due to an unexpected emergency in her family. And, of course, family comes first. So since uh, I'm, I'm glad she's addressing that and attending to that. So since I did not get through all of my listener questions a couple weeks ago and there are some current news items that I also have been wanting to mention, Uh, not only when I did that show two weeks ago, but also some new information in the news and some new questions I've received since then. I'm going to go ahead and keep going down my list of questions and news items along with um, some new questions I received. And I'm going to start out with one of those newer questions I received just in the past week. I got a question from uh, Buster in Russia, and Buster asked, quote, what are some of the things learned from the Mueller report that are specific to cybersecurity? I do not want to hear about politics or people. I'm interested in some of the cybersecurity exploits and vulnerabilities, end quote. You know, I'm so glad you asked that question, Buster. There really is a huge amount of interesting information about cybersecurity and the vulnerabilities that were exploited and so on within the Mueller report. So I want to go through just a few of the things I've noticed so far, and I haven't read it in depth. Some of the the areas I did focus on more than others, and I want to hit upon a couple of them. So one thing that was revealed in the Mueller report is that the GRU, which I understand to be uh, the Military Intelligence Service of the Russian Federation, I think Russia's largest foreign intelligence agency. Buster, let me know if if I'm getting that wrong. But um, basically, they launched a wide phishing and spear phishing operation. So within the Mueller report, uh, there was this passage, quote, GRU officers also sent hundreds of spear phishing emails to the work and personal email accounts of Clinton campaign employees and volunteers. Between March 10, 2016 and March 15, 2016, Unit 26165, and this isn't in the report, but this is just an aside here. I think that's the um, GRU military cyber unit. So back to the quote. 
appears to have sent approximately 90 spear phishing emails to email accounts at hillaryclinton.com. Starting on March 15, 2016, the GRU began targeting Google email accounts used by Clinton campaign employees, along with a smaller number of dnc.org email accounts. The GRU spear phishing operation enabled it to gain access to numerous email accounts of Clinton campaign employees and volunteers, including campaign chairman John Podesta, junior volunteers assigned to the Clinton campaign's advanced team, informal Clinton campaign advisors, and a DNC employee. GRU officers stole tens of thousands of emails from spear phishing victims, including various Clinton campaign-related communications, end quote. So, there is so much there to talk about just in that one small passage. So, here's a a few good lessons within just this section. So, first, unaware computer users or computer users who are not tech savvy are, you know, they're the human part of computing who can create really weak links in information security. Too many people fall for these spear phishing tactics and reportedly many of those targeted fell for these phishing messages and they clicked when they should not have. So as a result, tens of thousands of emails were stolen. So how could this have been avoided? Well, more education, more awareness reminders for how to not be a victim of spear phishing attacks and how to recognize when you are getting a phishing message. Um, It also would have helped if the campaign did not use Gmail accounts, or at least some of them in the the, uh, campaign did not use Gmail accounts. And instead, if they had used that, their own email service or a paid email service provider, because then... They could have used uh, tools to identify and prevent as many phishing messages as possible from being delivered in the first place. You know, you don't get that kind of nice tool generally in those free types of email services such as in Gmail. So imagine how different history may have been with just a few security practices such as, as these in place. And then... Also, before I go through the next passage, I want to kind of point out here are a few more terms that I want you to know about because, man, this uh, the Mueller report had all sorts of acronyms and initializations all through it. So, you'll I'm going to be saying a couple of these. I want you to know what they stand for. So, DCCC stands for Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Now, this is the official campaign organization for the the Democrats in the House of Representatives, and DNC stands for Democratic National Committee. So keep keep those in mind as I read another short excerpt from another passage in a different part of the report. 
quote, by no later than April 12, 2016, the GRU had gained access to the DCCC computer network using the credentials stolen from a DCCC employee who had been successfully spearfished the week before. Over the ensuing weeks, the GRU traversed the network, identifying different computers connected to the DCCC network by stealing network access credentials along the way, including those of IT administrators with unrestricted access to the system, the GRU compromised approximately 29 different computers on the DCCC network approximately six days after the first hacking into the DCCC network on April 18, 2016, GRU officers gained access to the DNC network via a virtual private network, otherwise known as a VPN connection between the DCCC and the DNC networks between April 18, 2016 and June 8, 2016. Unit 26165 compromised more than 30 more computers on the DNC network, including the DNC mail server and shared file server, end quote. So here are some more possible lessons from this short passage. Okay, so first, consider what security checks and controls did the VPN have implemented beyond just allowing access, what sounds like based only on ID and password credentials. And also, was it also checking the VPN and the way it was implemented? Was it checking to determine if the IP addresses associated with the IDs and passwords being used were unusual based upon past activities? It's good to use tools on VPNs to check for such things to help prevent compromised credentials from allowing unauthorized traffic into the network, or better yet, if they had used two-factor authentication for the VPN, most likely they would not have gotten into the network to begin with. So those are some considerations. Now, here's another set of consideration. What type of traffic analysis or monitoring was being used within the DCCC network or the the DNC network? Were there any types of security traffic analysis or monitoring tools being used? Um, Were any security controls or tools implemented to check for the origination of activity occurring within the network? And how about the traffic analysis tools themselves, you know, utilizing network traffic analysis tools can really help to identify unusual activities. And you can typically set the good tools, the effective tools to send alerts to appropriate security admins to follow up on. And then another set of considerations, you know, were data leak prevention also um, often referenced as DLP, were DLP tools implemented within the DCCC and or the DNC networks. Now, from what is described, it really doesn't seem so. You know, such tools may have been able to prevent the exfiltration of those tens of thousands of emails. 
Well, I could go on and on for hours talking about this. It's so interesting, and I could get into much greater depth of analysis for many hours just scanning through this really long report. There's so much specific to information security and privacy that's covered in the 456 pages. I'm happy to let you know that I'm going to be continuing this conversation on my next show. The show airing May 7th will be with Christopher Burgess, and he served for over 30 years within the Central Intelligence Agency as chief of station and also as an information security expert. You know, Christopher's been a guest on my show before around the same time last year, and I'm really looking forward to delving into the technical aspects of the voting and elections hacking and related issues. So that's something for you to look forward to, and we'll continue this discussion then. Okay, next question. Um, Ike asks, what are the top three things that a small business owner should be doing to secure data and information of their clients? Okay, so Ike, this is a great question. I'm glad you're thinking about how you, I'm assuming as a small business owner, uh, can better protect your clients' data. So I'll start off with what I think are three big things, well, I don't want to say big things, three critical things that every every business owner, no matter what size your business is, needs to know. So first, here's what I'd like for you to do. Sit down, maybe have some of your folks who support you in your business. Um, create an inventory of all the technologies that you use within your business, you know, and this would include the computing devices used within your business, uh, storage devices, laptops, ta- uh, tablets, smartphones, DVDs, USB drives, your desktops, your printers, all those different things. And also document the tech tools that you use on those devices. So what do I mean by tech tools? Well, this would be things like your encryption tools, the applications that you use on them, the operating systems. Document the versions of them that you have, too. That's important because some versions of those things are more secure than others. Some are kind of buggy. Make some type of notation within your documentation for all those all those various things where you have your client data involved in some way with all those different tech devices and services and tools. You know, you cannot secure your client data if you do not know what you have that collects and stores or otherwise accesses client data. And all your other business data, for that matter, you want to protect that too, right? So after you get this documented, you can now establish rules for how those technologies should and should not be used within your business environment. So when you think about it, these rules will become the basis for your technology security policies and procedures. So that's the first thing to do. The second thing to do is to create your own list of rules detailing how you will secure the information you collect from your clients 
and in all forms, you know, digital or on paper or on on note cards, whatever. How are you collecting data about your clients? And then also, how are you securing the systems and networks and storage locations where this data will be stored or accessed from or through? So when you've documented this, this will then become something that you can refer to or consider to be your documented policies and the steps you've included with the high-level rules will become your procedures to make sure that you consistently follow data security and privacy practices throughout your business and activities. Now, after you document these different things, you might say, ooh, I need to do better job, a, a better job for securing things over here that I documented or over there. That's good. You know, that's one of the purposes for doing this um, exercise to identify where you need to improve the security and then document that. And that will be your policy for how you're securing that data. And then for the third thing, perform a review of of all the ways in which people can get physical access to your business computing devices. Um, and then write down the answers to some questions. So some of the questions would be, how can unauthorized people potentially get access to your computers, to your laptops, your tablets, uh, your desktops, to your USB storage drives? I know a lot of businesses and small to large use a ton of USB storage um, storage drives. How can they get to your servers? You know, if you have a managed service provider that manages your servers, then what are they doing to protect access, physical access to those servers? How about your print information? Who can see your business and client information? You know, can they see it on whiteboards? on your computer screens, who can access your terminals and your routers, your backup media within your business facilities and your remote work locations while you're traveling and so on. Now that you've written this information down, you can identify your weak areas with regard to physical access in any way to your client data. And you can document actions to take to mitigate these ways that an authorized access could occur to data to these physical uh, types of accesses. Now, what you write down can then be used to create your business information, security, physical controls and policies. So, you know, these three primary things you should do first. Why? Well, throughout my entire adult career working in IT, information security and privacy, I've consistently seen small and mid-sized businesses try to attack information security in really a haphazard, scattershot type of way. Most don't really take the time to consider their own unique business environment. They simply throw a security action here, another one there, and think they've created effective security for their client data. You know, I've heard many of them say things to me to the effect of, oh, well, we need passwords to get into our systems and client files. And so we created IDs and passwords. And we heard that 
encryption was really important, so we use SSL to encrypt the data that we collect from the website. So we are using passwords, we're using encryption. Hey, we're secure. You know, that creates a false sense of security that really results from doing, uh, you know, these ad hoc security actions. And, and this is in large part what results in so many security incidents and privacy breaches. If you want a successful business that your customers trust, and if you care about your customers and clients' data, and I'm sure you do, then set aside a few hours to at least start taking the three actions that I just described. Your clients and customers, they're going to thank you for it. And how will they thank you for it if not by saying thank you expressly, by remaining your customers and clients since you can truth, truthfully tell them that you do take information security and their privacy Seriously, these three actions will really form the framework for your entire information security and privacy program, and it will be specifically suited for your own business activities. And guess what? This will also support compliance to have such documented policies and procedures that such a large number of legal requirements Um, that, you know, you have in various industries or in that apply to any industry all, some of which could apply to your business. In fact, I do not know of any type of business that does not have any legal requirements for information security or privacy right now. So that's something very important to have. So, okay, I'm Before I go on to the next question, I see that it is time for a quick break to hear from my valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. Today, I am speaking about some recent news items and I'm answering some listener questions that I've been getting. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as provide some topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. And you can also get in touch with me through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, 
breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm answering some of my many listener and privacy professor tips, readers' questions, and throwing in some recent news items today. Now I have a news item that I wanted to pass along when I did my other news and listener questions episode a couple of weeks ago, but I ran out of time to cover this completely. I didn't mention it, but I wanted to go into a little bit more detail on it because this is significant for many of you, especially of those of you with retail businesses, you know, restaurants and small shops and gas stations, etc. So first, um, how many of you are still using Windows XP devices? Well, if you're using them, you do know that they are no longer supported by Microsoft, right? In fact, support stopped for Windows XP in 2014. And what that basically means is that if any new bugs or vulnerabilities are found in your Windows XP system, that you are going to just have to deal with those vulnerabilities yourself. Microsoft is not going to fix those anymore. And unless you are a Windows XP systems expert, you will likely just keep using that computer, being vulnerable to having your vulnerable system targeted by a hacker and taken down with malware permanently or or having cyber crooks use your unsecure Windows XP is a pathway, perhaps, to launch malware bots or to store porn for others to retrieve from and you won't even know it's going on or until it simply stops working because of incompatibility with newer applications that you are loading onto it or maybe incompatibility because you got a new piece of hardware and when you plugged it in, it didn't work. So bad things have happened to those who continued using Windows XP. Here's a good example. In May of 2017, many NHS hospital systems in England were brought down by a huge outbreak of the WannaCrypt virus. 
So here we had a digital virus bringing down the hospital systems, which were still using those unsupported Windows XP systems. Well, how about now thinking about something related but slightly different? How about all those businesses that are using variants of Windows XP called Embedded POS Ready 2009. Microsoft announced on April 9th, um, just you know, a few weeks ago, that Embedded POS Ready 2009 is no longer supported. So why does that matter? Well, Windows Embedded POS Ready 2009, which as it name, uh, the name of it suggests, POS means point of sale. It's designed to run apps that are used in checkout areas of stores and other places. So think of all those cash registers, automated teller machines, um, self-service checkouts, and so on that use or might be using embedded POS Ready 2009. Most if not all of them, are likely connected to online sites in one way or another. They will become targets of cyber crooks and mischief makers. Does your business use one of these for your checkout lines? Do the stores that you do business with use them? It's really something to think about and check on. They need to replace them before they are used by cyber crooks to steal data or commit other types of fraud, or use it to bring the businesses to a screeching halt. Oh, and when you replace them, make sure you are protecting your new point-of-sale systems against a newly discovered threat. So, CyberCrooks are now selling a new point-of-sale malware called Glitch POS. And Glitch POS exfiltrates credit card numbers from point-of-sale devices and retailers' websites. Most point-of-sale devices are running with Windows or Unix. Um, Glitch POS malware targets the Windows systems. The Glitch POS malware is delivered through Um, associated payloads or through infrastructure and control panels and often through exploited vulnerabilities and lack of adequate security controls and through phishing and so on. So it's really something to be aware of. Okay, here's a message I got from Karen, one of my LinkedIn connections several weeks ago, and I've not had a chance to answer yet. So, Karen, I'm getting to your your um, message you sent to me. Karen writes, quote, hey, Rebecca, um, basically over the last... The past three days, I've learned that every CPU since 1995 is vulnerable to Spectre and Meltdown, and CPUs with hardware fixes are likely not to hit the market until spring of 2019. I'm going to get a cheaper system and invest in a system with a protected Intel chip when one hits the market. This is a huge security issue affecting PC servers and cloud storage that it seems like nobody knows about, end quote. Thank you for passing that along, Karen, to let my listeners know about that. 
for those of you who may not have heard about that yet. And yes, these uh, vulnerabilities are valid and very real concerns. So I have checked on this and uh, meltdown specifically affects Intel microprocessors stretching way back to 1995, and which it seems encompasses most of the world's Intel processors and reportedly even including services like um, <clears throat> Microsoft Azure and Amazon Web Services, better known as AWS. Spectre also is a global threat, which affects microprocessors not only from Intel, but also from AMD and ARM. And there, you know, there's various uh, thoughts about that. But from what I've been able to tell from what the researchers have found, that seems uh, to be pretty accurate. So, Intel, AMD, and ARM have all released patches for the vulnerabilities, but will those patches work in all the systems where they are used? Many organizations are still searching for how to roll out the patches, and they're wondering the impacts of doing so. The wide range of vulnerable devices is a significant problem. Each type of hardware has a slightly different type of solution that must be individually addressed. And the way the patches have been implemented, well, they have caused problems. For example, um, this past January, Microsoft also announced that Spectre and Meltdown patches for Windows 10 were compromising performance and actually causing random fatal errors, which also points to how their security fixes were buggy. Um, Apple has also had similar problems with their patches. So will the Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities ever get patched? There's really a lot of debate about that within the IT security community. However, most agree that New computing devices using new processors will not have these vulnerabilities. So thanks again, Karen, for passing along that information. Do any of my other listeners have information to pass along about information security or privacy that you think would be of interest or benefit to the rest of the listeners? Just drop me a line. Let me know. Okay, on to another question. From a listener, Eve in France wrote and asked, quote, I just graduated with an IT degree and I want to pursue my master's degree with a specialization in information security. Of course, I want to choose an area with a good prospect for a high salary and quick entry into a good position after obtaining my degree and <clears throat> excuse me and have longevity for my career what would you recommend in quote well thank you for that great question eve and uh, yes of course that sounds like a great plan to be able to have a, a high salary and quick entry and you know it's good timing on your question because there's a job career site and business called Indeed. And they actually recently posted the top 10 
highest paying IT security jobs. So I'm going to give you just list off the top three in the list by cybersecurity job title, along with the associated average U.S. dollars uh, for the annual salary. So at the top of their list was application security engineer at a $128,128 annual salary in U.S. dollars. And, you know, I believe it because, boy, I see so many applications out there that are just designed and engineered horribly, missing, you know, without any type of security um, built into them. So I can I can believe they'd be at the top of the list. Right after that is Director of Information Security at $127,855, and then Senior Security Consultant at $126,628. You can go out and search on the Indeed site to find the information about all the other uh, positions. Now, when you do, and from what I just um, listed, you'll notice that the list did not include any privacy or compliance job titles. And I guess that's to be expected since it was, you know, they they were explicitly calling out for information security. However... Um, I think it's really important that information security folks have an understanding and also capabilities related to privacy controls and capabilities and compliance. You know, those are and will remain going forward for many, many years quite lucrative uh, positions when you can do all of those things, information security, privacy, and compliance, they're in really high demand from what I've heard in speaking with many different organizations and also um, seeing what is being advertised out there. So, Eve, I recommend that if uh, if possible, when you start your master's degree program, that you include perhaps a specialization in privacy to go along with your information security focus since there's a growing demand for professionals who understand not only IT and information security, but also who have a deep understanding of the associated privacy risks and how to engineer and implement controls to mitigate those risks. So thank you, Eve, for your question. Okay, so now I want to go through just a few um, quick hit news items. So there's been a lot of breaches uh, that have been posted in the news recently. So something that I noticed was reported on April 25th, um, 2019, if you're listening to this (laughs) in in a later year, cyber criminals were using the Megacart or Magacart, it's spelled M-A-G-E-C-A-R-T. They're using the Magcart card skimming code that attacked the online store of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks website. And it stole customers' names and addresses and all their payment card data uh, as well. These card skimming code attacks are becoming a lot more common. Um, 
Well, and that's to be expected, right? Uh, They're working. They're very effective at taking a lot of credit card data, and uh, that's very valuable to sell to other crooks on the dark web and other places. So cyber criminals just really love using them to capture all that valuable credit card data. So if you've purchased merchandise from the Atlanta Hawks online site, uh, change your password for the site. And with regard to the credit card you use, change your password for it or better yet, get a new card issue. So related to this uh, problem of online vulnerabilities and breaches, there was yet another online site. And this one is uh, called bodybuilding.com. And this is a Boise, Idaho-based retailer. And they represent themselves as being the world's uh, largest online fitness store. And they have basically 35 million unique visitors per month. And they reported that they fell victim to a phishing scam. Boy, just think about all the organizations that fall victim to phishing scams. Come on, folks. Uh, Get your awareness up there and learn how to see something and not fall for that uh, tempting click of a link or whatever, opening up some sort of attachment. But anyway... Bodybuilding.com had some of their folks uh, who fell for a phishing scam, and it resulted in the cyber crooks gaining access to the systems that contained all of its customer data. Now, here's the really concerning part, too. Not just that they had the breach. They didn't did not discover the breach until seven months after the phishing scam succeeded. At least that's what was reported. So if you've used that site, uh, you know what to do. Change your site passwords and your credit card number, or better yet, get a new card issued. You know, and these are only just two examples of online sites that have been breached and compromised. Just think about all of the other breaches of online retail sites that have had breaches. Oftentimes, oftentimes you don't hear about a breach until many months after it's actually occurred. And with the case of bodybuilding.com, they didn't realize they'd been breached or that their data was being taken until seven months. So think about all of that data. If they're the world's largest and they're getting 35 million unique visitors per month, what percentage of those are actually making purchases there? So think about all of that data that's being compromised. So with this in mind, if you do a lot of, of online purchases Uh, When you're thinking about these two recent breaches that I pointed out and all the other ones uh, that are similar to them, you know, I've had many folks tell me, they say, you know, we hate having to keep changing our passwords for all our credit cards and we hate getting all all of our cards reissued because there's so many breaches. It seems like it's happening all the time. So here's a tip kind of related to this. Um, what I recommend, this is something I do, 
get one credit card that you only use for online purchases. I've got one that I don't use it for anything else because I want to be able to isolate this card for only that one type of activity. That way, um, when you're not using your other cards for online purchases, that way you only have that one card that is impacted by online breaches. And so so then uh, you only need to change passwords for that one card or get that one card reissued when online retailers are hacked. This way then you could keep your other credit cards uh, to do other types of purchases and charges. Now notice I didn't say to... um, use a debit card for online purchases. Keep in mind, debit cards are riskier, especially now with all the vulnerabilities in online sites, because the fact that when you're using debit cards, oftentimes the money is coming directly out of your bank account. And just think, if um, if crooks are in there for any period of time, they could quickly drain all of your money out of the account before you know about it and you don't have the same legal protections in the U.S. anyway. Uh, I don't know about in other countries, but in the U.S. you don't have legal protections to limit the amount you lost through your debit cards. So keep that in mind. Now here is one other thing that I saw that I found very interesting. Microsoft announced during the week of April 22nd that they are going to eliminate the password expiration policies from their upcoming new security configuration baseline settings for Windows 10 version 1903-19H1 and also for Windows Server 1903 without any additional information, you know, code after that. Now, Microsoft's reasoning is that people who are forced to regularly change passwords often make trivial and easily predictable changes to their credentials or they end up forgetting their newest version. Now, I agree. If you are using a long, strong, complex password, you really don't need to be forced to change it every 30 days, 60 days or so on. However, if there has been a breach that could impact the systems that you are using that password with, then definitely you would need to change your password. But I still prefer over over this even is using two-factor authentication for even more security. And that way, if people find out Um, your password, they won't be able to do that second factor or that second step um, in order to get in and compromise your account. So there's so much going on in, uh, in the world right now of with security, with privacy. Um, I'm trying to stay on top of a lot of things, but it's hard for, you know, any one person in general to stay on top of it. So that's why I love having my guests come um, to talk about specific topics. And also that's why I really like to get your questions and your feedback. So today I've been answering listener questions and providing a few 
news items uh, that are recent and that I think all listeners should be aware of in one way or another. Uh, Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more of these types of shows where I'm touching on a wide variety of topics and answering uh, listener questions? You know, uh, let me know that. Let me know if you found anything that I talked about today specifically useful. And do you have a topic to suggest I cover? Uh, You can contact me with questions, comments, and provide me uh, with other information using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled lifetime, you will be able to listen to the recordings. And you can find recordings of all my past shows. So today's the 63rd show. So all the other 62 shows are out there on iTunes, MobilePlay, Stitcher.com. Tune in and all those other Um, apps that you use to listen to podcasts and news. Uh, And of course, you can go to the voiceamerica.com business channel website. And also contact me for information security, privacy and compliance keynotes. And um, I also love being an expert witness. I've done a few very interesting cases they're just always uh each one is so unique so if if that's something you need help with contact me as well so in the meantime until next week i urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities when you go to your job and do your daily work you know notice are there security or privacy vulnerabilities that um, you're aware of. And also, if you encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy, if it's at your work, let your manager know or the information security manager know. I'm sure they would appreciate hearing your feedback about that. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and who you work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe. Thank you.